Good morning, everybody. Uh, good to be back. I hope you also enjoy these shows. Good morning, Lou. Good morning. I'm anxious. We got 2020. It's going to be a big year for everybody. Starting it out, let's get some. Let's, let's learn and get better. Yes. So this is session. What session is this, uh, Lou? Oh, is this? This is 31. 31. Yeah, because we started chapter about... three on, on episode 30, and so it worked out really nicely. So we're at 31. Correct. And today we are going to be doing uh, verses 8. We stopped at verse 7 last time. We are going to be doing 8 and 9. Mm-hmm. And the concept of what a yagna, Y-A-G-N-A, yagna is. Uh, and, and the reason for that is people do a lot of yagnas and havans and pujas all over India. And this is what they were doing back in the days that the Gita was written. Mm-hmm. When uh, Sage Vyasa wrote it, he was... He was very upset that people just did these uh, yagnas just as rituals, thinking that by doing the yagna, some god up in the heavens is going to bestow upon them right. some favors. And so uh, what the Gita explains is what these yagnas and havans are all about so that people should know the symbolic meaning of it. So that's what we're going to do. Right. But just to recap where we left off last time, as of chapter 3, the Gita starts very gradually to tell us exactly how we have to conduct ourselves in life, how we have to work, how we, what we have to do in order to lead a better life and to be a better person and to become more at peace with oneself. Mm-hmm. So in up to, Gita, up to chapter 2, Uh, Krishna was talking about Sankhya Yoga, the yoga of wisdom, basically teaching us what the Atman is all about, what all of these basic uh, bases that we need to know for the Gita in order to understand it. So verse chapter 3 starts off with Arjuna asking Krishna, he says, you know, you told me all about this knowledge, Sankhya, and you're telling me that I have to do action. Why do I need to act? I don't need to act. And in verse 4, what Krishna says is, you have to act all the time. There's not even a second that goes by where you're not acting. Now, you may think, well, that's bizarre. There are times where I'm not acting, but that's not true. If you take act in the way it's meant in the Gita. So if your cells are multiplying, you're acting in some sense. Yes. If you're sleeping, you're acting. It's an action. If somebody says, get up, get me, come, let's go for a walk. And you say, no, I want to sit right here. (laughs) That refusal is an action. So that's what they mean. Right. So Krishna says, you are acting all the time. And, you know, I heard... you're making conscious decisions, right? To speak, to sit, to walk, to work. Right. You're constantly making decisions. So in India, one of the things we have is a lot of phony swamis. A lot of phony swamis, you know, they, they're just there dressed in orange clothes and sitting there thinking that they're, you know, uh, they're getting money from people. So I heard this one swamini, a female swami, uh, talking about when she was a child, her parents, who were very religious, took her to see this swami, who they said, oh, he's such a good swami, such a big swami. He doesn't speak. He doesn't do any action. He just sits there motionless. And she said, I was astounded. I went there to say, wow, how can this be? And they say, see, he doesn't even eat himself. He has to be fed. <laughs> so she's looking at him and she's thinking, she's got two women on either side of him, one by one, in, in India we eat with our hands, right. one by one feeding him in his hand. 
And all he does is open his mouth, close his mouth, masticate, which is or chew, mm -hmm. and then swallow. And she's saying, you know, he's acting, even though he's not picking up the food with his hands, he's opening his mouth, he's closing his mouth. And she says at one time, one of the girls got distracted. She was looking elsewhere and she had the food in her hand and it was right near his mouth, but she was looking elsewhere. And he, she says, leaned forward, opened his mouth to grab the food that was in her hand. Yeah. And she says, this is not inaction. So, you know, that, that in and of itself is a sign. Some swamis say, we don't speak, but he'll write you a note if you go there to say, yes, please, next time I want a donation of a TV or something like that. Yeah. That's not in action. <laughs> so the concept of action versus non-action is very important. Why is Krishna telling Arjuna this? It's basically to tell us what these actions are so that we can convert our actions to a better action, a cause, a, a higher cause. Because most of the time what we do is we act according to our likes, our dislikes, and for ourselves. And what Krishna says is, if you act for a higher purpose, you'll be more peaceful, and that's what we'll come to. So in verse five, that was verse four, that says that you have to act all the time. And in verse five, it says that you are made to act according to your gunas. So your gunas, your nature, if you remember, we talked last time about sattvic guna, yes. rajasic guna, and tamasic guna. And as you act according to your gunas, you are creating more desires. And the more desires you create, the more disturbance you have inside your mind. We've talked about this. Right. And the more disturbance you have, the less peaceful you are, therefore the less happy you are. So you're actually producing more vasanas within yourself that carry on to the next life. So that's verse five. I don't want to go into too much detail because we did it last time. Yeah. Verse six was where if you physically stop the organs of action, but your mind keeps desiring, you're a hypocrite, he said. So the desires keep building up because it's the mental involvement in the objects that cause the desires. So both ways you're in, in, in trouble because if you fulfill your desires and you act, Right. You develop more desires. But if you don't physically act on your desires, but mentally you're indulging, then, too, you're building up your desires. And verse 7 basically says, while indulging in those desires that are too strong to avoid, indulge physically, but say there is more to life than this. So that's where we left off last yeah. time. So what that is that all of us come to this life with some strong vasanas from previous life. So those really strong vasanas, it's going to be very difficult for you to control. And all that Krishna says is, those we put to one side, the smaller ones, you know, like I wanna have a cup of ice cream today. I wanna to go for Chinese food. Those right. are incidental desires. Those you can snip off. And so he says, the really big ones, you may not be able to, and he's telling us ways in which to tackle those, but the smaller ones, he says, you may indulge, but your body says, I, go I wanna go for Chinese food today, 
He says, if you cannot control it, it just keeps coming up again and again that is disturbing you as a desire, then go. Mm -hmm. Think to yourself, there's more to life than Chinese food. Right. I'm going to indulge, but I'm not going to linger on it, like we said before. And Acts, verse 8 says, if you have to act, act, because if you don't, even your body will deter deteriorate. So verse 8 says, let me see if I can find the paper. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> verse 8 says, perform your obligatory action, for action is superior to inaction. You must perform action. can't just sit still doing nothing. And even the maintenance of your body would not be possible by inaction. Right. So here he's telling us something we know already, because even just to maintain your body, you need to exercise. What happens when you get, when your arm is fractured and you have a big, powerful, strong arm, but you're in a cast for a number of weeks, by the time the cast is taken off, your muscles have atrophied to some extent, your arm is much smaller, thinner, you need to now go do physical therapy or exercise to get it back. So the maintenance of your body, he says, is not possible by inaction. So in life, everything has to have motion, action. A stream, a brook, if it is moving constantly, it has fresh, clean water. If it's stagnant, stagnant, it becomes putrid, smelly, dirty, etc. Mm -hmm. So everything needs action. Um, so the key here is two things about how you do your karma. One is known as obligatory karma or actions, mm -hmm. and one is um, unexpected karma. So in Sanskrit, it's called nitya karma, which is your regular routine duty, which you've got to go. You have duties, each one of us. One of us are, is our job. One is our responsibility as a father, as a husband, right. as a yep. you know, neighbor, etc. And the second is what is known as naimitika karma, which is an occasional special duty. So your routine duty is to get up and go to your work. You've got to do that right. with a higher cause in mind. And while you're driving to your nitya karma, suppose you see an accident right in front of you, and there's a person fallen on the street. You've got to, you can't just say, well, listen, I got my duty. I'm going to go. Bye. Right. Yep. You then say, I've got to help this person, you put him in your car, you take him to the hospital, etc. That is a naimitika um, karma, which is an occasional duty. Now, if the same thing happens every day, that <laughs> you have to find out some reason how to deal with it, yeah. but you can't avoid those, and you have to fulfill them. So what is right and what is wrong, people have often asked, and that you have to leave to your conscience to tell you. What part of this should I be doing? What part of this should I not be doing? Right. So as a teacher, we have an obligation. The teacher has an obligation to his or her students. Obligation, that's an obligatory duty. Student has a duty to the teacher. A doctor has an obligation to the patient. Patient has an obligation to the doctor. Parent has an obligation to the child. Child has an obligation to the parent. Employer to employee, spouse to each other, those kind of things. Right. If you fulfill your obligatory duty, which is verse 8, what it's saying, you find yourself peaceful. The trouble starts when instead of doing what you ought to do, you do what you like to do and you don't do what you don't like to do. That's when you start right. getting into trouble. Mm -hmm. The minute you say, what am I getting out of this action? You get into trouble. 
your mind becomes disturbed and you get anxious about the result. So you must sacrifice for the sake of your neighbors, your community, the world, nature, um, and others around you. You can't just be thinking about yourself the whole time. So that's the whole purpose of verse number eight. Now in verse number nine, it says, this world is bound by action other than those performed for the sake of yajna. This world is bound by action other than that performed in the sake of yajna, which is sacrifice. Yes. So therefore, perform action for that sake, free from attachment. So in the ancient days, they used to perform this thing called a fire um, sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And that was another word for yajna. Today, it's also called havan and is very common in India. And basically what it is, is a sacrificial activity dedicated to a higher cause where uh, you convert your activity to worship and basically it's to surrender to a higher purpose in life and working without a selfish motive. So what exactly is a yajna? In a yajna, there is a square. In the olden days, it used to be huge. So the whole Maybe a king would have a yajna and invite hundreds of people. Oh, it was yeah. a square um, fire pit made of square bricks. Mm -hmm. It could be, you know, many hundreds of feet uh, square. And in there would be thrown logs. And around it would sit priests. Now, the bigger the individual doing the yajna, bigger in terms of position like a king, the bigger the yajna pit. If you did it at home, you might just have it you know, this big, yeah. the pit, and throw some candles and things in there, and you would have one priest. But if you had a big one, you'd have multiple priests. So you'd invite everybody in the community or neighborhood to come and participate. And each person that came to participate in the yajna would bring along with him either some grain, some rice, some wheat, some something else that was of value to him, mm -hmm. or some clarified butter, which in India is called ghee, some ghee or mm -hmm. some butter or some oils or some grains. And then near the pit in a corner would be a place where these were all put. So the grains, the ghee, everything would be put there. Right. And then the priests would chant the verses, the mantras, and they would start the fire and the fire would be glowing, the uh, logs would be glowing red. And then each person steps up, doesn't take just what he brought to the uh, yajna, but from the common pool now, that pool that has all the ghee and butter and everything, takes something in it, puts it into the fire. And as soon as he puts butter into a fire, the fire <laughs> goes up, right? Yeah. And then he prays and he walks off. And then the priests continue. Everybody comes, 100 people come and they keep throwing uh, grain and butter into the fire. The fire jumps up, goes back down again. Another person comes again, it jumps up. By the end of the puja, by the end of the prayers, the fire has died down, the logs are all died, everything is turned to ash. Yeah. And that ash is called viputi and everybody goes, dips their three fingers in the ash and put three stripes across their forehead. Interesting. Yeah. Now, you've often seen holy people here in the United States with maybe a stripes across, either horizontally or vertically. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a whole other story why some 
people have horizontal stripes and how some people have three vertical stripes cause of some religious tension within India among oh, Hindus. Interesting. But, so, and then when you put the three stripes, the puja is over, you thank the priests and you go to a nearby temple. Now what everybody says, okay, see, I did yagna today. Now God is going to grant me my wish to get my daughter married. Right. Um, God is going to give me the money that I'm looking for. That doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And that's what Sage Vyasa, when he wrote the Gita said, that it's not the way this uh, function is. This is a symbolic thing that basically tells you that whenever you do work, you should do it, number one, for a higher cause with that motive that you're doing it not just for your own selfish reason, but right. cooperatively. And what he's saying is that first thing is you invite everybody. You can't do a yagna by yourself alone. It has to be cooperative. So. You invite everybody. Everybody has something to donate to that common cause. And that's symbolized by the grain or the clarified butter that everybody puts. You don't put it individually. You put it in a common pool, and then you take it from the common pool and put it. Right. So that becomes the collective action of the whole organization to make this fire. So no individual... It's not like a soccer player that says, I'm in the team, but I'm going to score the goal. You pass the ball to me, and unless I get the ball, we're not going to score. Right. And if I get the ball, I'm not going to pass it to anybody else. I'm going to try and kick the ball myself into the goal. doesn't work that way. It has to be done cooperatively. Everybody shares in this, takes the from the common goal, puts it, and when the fire shoots up, it suggests that the organization is acknowledging that it got your contribution and there's benefit to right. the organization. Not to you, but to the organization. Ultimately, to you and to everybody else. And that when the, the other thing that it suggests is that as you deposit things in the fire, when the fire goes up, it's burning off your vasanas and your desires. Oh, I see. So when you do something for a higher cause, there's two things that happen. Number one, the cause is benefited and therefore you become prosperous because you're working cooperatively. But the other thing that happens is when you're doing something for a higher purpose, your own vasanas, your own desires get burned off. Right. And that's what the fire suggests. At the end of it, whatever ash is left over is the remains of your sacrifice. You sacrifice for this. You gave something. You gave ghee. You gave a grain, which was put into this uh, pit. And then it was burnt off in the spirit of giving, and you get the reward, which is the three stripes from the ash, which means that by doing that slowly but surely, by cooperatively working with the whole neighborhood, with your community, with the rest of the people in this world, you are burning off your vasanas. And so you're showing that, and then you're going, because of your newfound spirit of self-realization, you're going to a temple to say, listen, here I am proudly showing off the fact that, you know, I'm working towards that. And that basically is what the concept of yagna is. I like it. Yeah. I, it's a, so, quite simple. Mm -hmm. Would the um, Western equivalency be here, talking about overemphasizing ritual, would the Western equivalency be here? People say, well, I go to church every Sunday, so I've done my work. Right? Absolutely. They don't do anything Absolutely. the rest of the week, but they go to church on Sunday, so they think everything's okay. 
it's so typical. You know, yes. I have, have uh, very uh, Christian friends who are very religious, and they say, unfortunately, in the Christian religion also, just like with the Hindu religion, it has become very ritualistic, where right. people just go to church and they don't even pay attention in church. They don't even know what the sermon may have been about. No, I'm here. And they here. just come away thinking, yeah. hmm? I'm here. That's all I need to do. I need to show That's up. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, and and prayer has become a bargaining thing where you pray, you close your eyes. The harder you close your eyes, you think the more it, the vibes are going to get to some person up there in the sky, which there isn't. And you say, God, please let my daughter get married. God, please let yeah. me get this promotion and job. And it doesn't work that way. What Krishna says in this Gita over here is that if you want something to happen, you have to work cooperatively with others. You can't do it single-handedly. You have to work cooperatively. And the more cooperatively you work without thought to what am I getting out of it, right. you just have to focus on what is the organization, the company, the world, nation getting out of this. You remember we talked before about each one of us having a responsibility in our actions, the teacher to the student, the parent to the child, you have to do your duty because you, this is what you ought to do as a teacher, as a doctor, as a parent. And then without thinking, well, my parent, my child didn't say thank you to me. My <laughs> students didn't say thank you to me. Can't think that. You're just doing it. You do it and then forget about it. Don't worry about accolades or, or, or praise or what you're getting or how much money. But as it turned out, the more you do for a collective organization, the more successful and prosperous you're going to be. Right. So somebody gave me this visual thing that has, I, and I don't know who, that imagine that there's a supervisor standing at the top of a, like a little hill, and below him are all these people that are meant to break rocks and then collect these big rocks and put them in a pile somewhere. I don't know for what reason, yep. but he's watching. And everybody's breaking the rocks and it's hot and they're sweating and they're not happy about what they're doing. But as they go to pick it up, if one person cannot, this other person goes and he helps them pick it up and he keeps going around helping for the common cause. The supervisor is watching everything. When he needs to go on a break, guess who he appoints as supervisor <laughs> in his space? The guy it's going who, to be the yeah. guy, right? Yep. So this happens in any company, any corporation, and I don't know why that particular example stuck in my head. But any organization, any corporation, the person that is giving selflessly to the organization and to his fellow employees is the one who stands out, who benefits, who becomes prosperous, and materially money-wise, wealth-wise, also gets benefit because everybody from his boss to his colleagues recognize him as being the one who's sacrificing for everybody else. So that is the description of a yagna. And I think we should stop there, Lou, at the end of chapter 9, mm -hmm. of verse 9 in chapter 3. And I would appreciate any comments from any of you, you can post it right here on Facebook and write to me with your comments, your questions. I really appreciate it. I would be happy to respond uh, when I get them. And you can also listen to these on um, iTunes or any other of the right. podcast 
Spotify or Google Podcasts. And if you're listening to the podcast, come find our Facebook page, uh, The Gita Memoirs of a Psychiatrist, and uh, leave it, you know, have a conversation with us. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, and uh, what your questions are, right? Thank you, Lou. And folks, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.